passage we'll be looking at today, I believe it's in the bulletin, and uh, if you guys have your Bibles, we could turn there. It's a passage that has become dear to my heart, Joshua chapter 24. And what I want to do is I want to look at the passage together. It's only two verses, and then we'll get straight into the message that we'll be looking at today. So, Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 to 15. If you guys are there, I'll read it out loud, and if you can follow along, this is Joshua. Verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is God's word. You guys remember back in New Year's 2017, uh, when that time rolled around and we're getting ready for the ball to drop and to gather together as a church or as friends or whoever you may be gathering with? Usually around that time, that is a time where we decide we're going to do something that we uh, do every year. We're going to have New Year's resolutions, right? New Year's resolutions. We all try to do that. I'm not sure if we all keep it, but we all try to do it. And usually the resolutions that we choose to make are things that are good practices or habits that we haven't done before. Things that we want to start doing this new year. So I imagine if I talk to you going, hey, what was your New Year's resolution back in January? I imagine you might say something like, oh, my resolution was I was going to exercise. I'm going to exercise for this upcoming new year because I never really, you know, I'm feeling physically lazy. I'm going to start hitting the gym. Or for some of us, you might say, oh, my New Year's resolution is to uh, stop eating junk food. No, no more carbs. No more, n- none of that stuff for me anymore. Or some of us might say, you know, I've been watching way too much Netflix, been on my phone way too much. My resolution is to read, a, read books more. I'm going to start reading a lot more. And if you told me that, I'd be like, that's cool. That's awesome. Great resolutions. Imagine, though, if you asked me, oh, Tom, what's your New Year's resolution? What are you planning to do? If I said, you know, my New Year's resolution this year, I think I'm, start, I'm going to start feeding my kids now. Yeah, you know, my kids, like, they've been scrounging around for food, and they've been scrapping on the floor, and I'm going to finally, I think I'm going to this year buy them groceries. Or if I told you, you know, my New Year's resolution, I'm going to start paying my taxes. I've never done it before, and I've been getting all these letters telling me I'm going to jail, so I'm going to start doing that. That is my New Year's resolution. I'd imagine if I told you that, your response would be like, dude, those aren't resolutions. Those are responsibilities. These are not things that you should try to do in 2017. These are things you should be trying to do your whole life. What are you doing? And you're absolutely right. I should not be seeing those as resolutions. Those are my responsibilities that I should always have been doing. What I want to do today for you all is I want to propose to you not a resolution, but it's going to feel like it because a lot of us haven't done this. It's going to feel like that, but it's not, a, it's not a resolution. What I want to propose to you, church, today is a responsibility. Remind you of a, a responsibility. And this responsibility that I want to exhort ANC to start taking upon, not just this year, but for the rest of your life, is this idea called family worship. Family worship. Family worship is the practice of worship that you have in your home, 
with your, with your wife, with your kids, or with yourself, this idea that worship is happening in your home, I want to awaken you, church, to this responsibility that we are supposed to have. Parents, if you're a parent in this room, and especially fathers, dads, I want to awaken you to your responsibility to lead your family in worship in the home. It is not a resolution. It is a responsibility that we as parents and especially as fathers, we are supposed to have in our household. Married couples, especially husbands, I want to exhort you with responsibility and remind you of this responsibility to lead your wife in worship in your homes. And singles, especially men, I want to exhort you with this responsibility that you are still supposed to be having worship in your household. You know, it's funny, whenever, um, especially singles, usually when a pastor gives a sermon about marriage, they go, hey, you know, you need to get married one day, so let me give you a message of what marriage looks like. All the singles start taking notes. Tell me more. But if we say, hey, you're going to one day be a parent, let me tell you what it's like to be a parent, all the pens go down. But did you know singles, if you get married you'll probably be a parent one day, most likely. And so this message, it applies to you. And the more you are able to grasp that one day this will be me, one day that's gonna happen in my life, the better prepared you will be when that time comes. The better ready you'll be when you need to take this as your responsibility. So singles, this is also for you as well, this message. I believe with all my heart that God does not just call his church to come together and worship him throughout the week or on this one day. I believe that God calls families to come together and worship him every day. Therefore, we as Christians, we as married couples, we as fathers and mothers, we have a responsibility not just to bring our family to worship, but we have a responsibility to bring worship to our families. That is the responsibility that we have. And so the problem that we have though is a lot of us aren't doing this. We have been neglecting this responsibility, including myself for a very long time. I, haven't, I didn't start doing family worship until pretty recently, this past year, 2017. But I've been awakened to this responsibility. I was awakened to this. And my hope is I want to awaken the rest of you guys too. So to do this, we're going to look at the book of Joshua and other passages as well. And I want to talk about this in four ways. Okay, four ways. First, we're going to look at the call for family worship, the call. Second, the challenge of family worship. It's not easy. Third, the practice of family worship. How do you do it? And then lastly, the result of family worship. What happens? So the call, the challenge, the practice, the result. By the way, this is going to be a very practical message. I hope it's mainly applicational. I hope it's something that we know what to do and that we actually do something afterwards. That's the goal. And if you're a dude and you feel guilty after this message and you feel like wrestling with your soul, good. <laughs> good. And that means the sermon did its job. So let's get straight to it. The call for family worship. The call. In Joshua chapter 24, the passage we just read, Joshua's reminding Israel, they just conquered the promised land. They are now about to set forth and be sure that they're going to settle there. And Joshua, he reminds Israel of God's faithfulness to them by bringing them into this promised land, by God defeating all their enemies. And so therefore, Joshua tells Israel, in response to God's faithfulness to you, 
He tells him, will you be faithful to God? Will you now be faithful to him by putting away all other gods? Put away all the idols in your life and be faithful to this one God who has been faithful to you. Look what it says in verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. If you want to know how you're going to be faithful to God, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Now the key word in this section that we just read is this word serve. The word serve is mentioned seven times in two verses. So his main emphasis is, you want to be faithful to God? Serve him, serve him, serve him. Now, the word serve, it doesn't mean, I know when we think of the word serve, we think, oh, so like soup kitchen or bringing, washing someone's feet. We think that in terms of service. But here, what the word service, it's not actually in terms of mercy service or helping someone service. What Joshua means here is devotion. It's a devotion that he's talking about. The word serve, that's the root word for the word servant. And servants are devoted to their masters. And what he's telling Israel is, when he says serve the Lord, is be devoted to the Lord. Be devoted to him. That's how you are responding to his faithfulness to you. Be devoted to your God. And the reason why is because if, you're not, if you don't devote yourself to the Lord, you will end up devoting yourself to something else. That's what will happen if you don't devote yourself to the Lord. You see, the human heart, we can't help but devote ourselves to something. The human heart can't help but dedicate itself to something. And Joshua knows this. And he not only knows this, he saw this. Israel, they always, 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 despite seeing all the miracles that God has done, they always devoted themselves to other gods. They always devoted themselves to idols around them. And that's why Joshua says in verse 15, he tells them, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. What are the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell? He was reminding them of how the different types of gods that they are going to be tempted to be devoted to. The gods beyond the river, he's referring to the gods of their parents, the, the, the gods that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that they were tempted to devote themselves to. He's saying, don't worship those gods. And the gods of the Amorites, those are the gods that are currently existing, the one in the new promised land. They're going to also want your devotion. And Joshua says, don't devote yourself to them either. You see, there are different idols, different gods wanting our devotion. And that's why I think if Joshua was preaching here today, exhorting us as a church, as families, I think Joshua would actually say something similar. He would give us a similar charge, I think, if he saw ANC and was preaching to us. Because Joshua knows that even today, there are rival gods that are, temp- that are tempting us to devote ourselves to them. You see, Joshua knows you have to devote yourself to the Lord, or as families, we would devote ourselves to some other God. How do you know if there's a God in your life? How do you know if you have an idol besides Yahweh in your life? What is an idol? What makes something a god in your life? Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, he describes an idol or a god as anything that has excessive influence or authority in your life. Anything that you are rearranging your life for, that's probably your god, or that's a potential to be an idol. Now, I know a lot of us, we have heard a lot of messages about idols and idolatry, idols of the heart. A lot of us have heard sermons like that, right? But what's interesting about this is Joshua is not, those messages are usually towards individuals. Watch out for the idols in your individual heart. Joshua, though, he's talking to families. 
He's saying there's not just idols for individuals. There are idols that tempt families. You see, for us today, we we may not be tempted to worship statues anymore or gods beyond the rivers or gods beyond the Amorites, but there is something called the God of education that we are often tempted to worship. Those are, the, those are our first-generation gods, our first-generation parents. They worship the God of education. Where everything the family does, we make sure that no matter what we do, we will rearrange our life so that our kids are smart, so that they go to the best universities, so that they're the best tutoring centers that we can send to. We will rearrange the entire schedule so that our kids could be educated. Or some of us, we are tempted to worship the God of sports, Little league practice. Even though it interferes with everything, it doesn't matter. We want our kids to be athletic. So we will rearrange our life to make sure that our, that our kids are involved with sports. Or we'll take them to ball games and travel with, and watch the Lakers play live, the Dodgers. Because we worship the God's education. Or, which this, is, this one I think is most prevalent, the God of comfort. The God of safety. We all want to live somewhere nice in the suburbs. Somewhere where there's a good school district where there's no, no gang violence, no shooting, just comfortable. Com- and we will pay extra money for that. You see, all, when we, all, if those things are your gods, all of our decisions will be influenced by that God. And there's nothing bad. There's nothing bad about wanting to have a good education for your kids. Nothing bad about wanting to make sure that they're safe and comfortable. Nothing bad about sports. But if these things dictate how your family lives, if, this, if these things influence everything that your family does, then what's happening is they potentially have excessive authority in your life, and they're potentially an idol knocking on your family's door. You see, even though families are always going to be tempted to follow and devote themselves to other gods, Joshua, he says that in my household, it will be different. Even though every other family, they're all doing all these, they're all worshiping the other gods, the Amorites, the gods of rivers. Joshua, though, he says, my family will not be like other families. We will be something different. What would they be like? What would they devote themselves to? Verse 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This house, my family, will be devoted to the Lord. Every other house, their main thing could be sports, their main thing could be education. But we, our main thing, it will be the Lord. That was Joshua's resolution. That was his resolve. You see, in other words, Joshua, he is taking responsibility over his household because he knows, again, it's easy to be devoted to other things. But Joshua vows saying, not me, not my family. We will be different. What about you? What about your family? Are you doing something to make sure your family is devoted to the Lord? And if not, how can we do something? What can we do to help our family to make sure that they will be not a household devoted to sports only or to education, but to the Lord? As singles, are you doing anything to make sure that when your future families come, that you're going to make sure that this could be a family devoted to the Lord? Christians have thought about this for a long time. And historically, Christians have all come up with the same answer of how they do this as families. It's called family worship. Family worship. The reason why, and by family worship, this is a time, again, where you set aside in your household to come together as a family to worship God. And the reason why worship is key to making sure that you devote yourself to the Lord is because worship is where God reorients your heart to follow him. That's what worship does. 
James Smith, I gave this quote at the retreat, but it's the perfect definition of what I'm talking about. He says this, we are called to worship because in this encounter with God, he remakes and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. That's why God tells us to worship him. And you know, historically, historically speaking, God's people, they never only worshiped once a week at church. It was never just once a week at a temple. They always, 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 throughout all of history, God's people, they worshiped in homes as family. In the Old Testament, for example, parents, you see them constantly, always in the Old Testament, teaching their children about who the Lord is in their homes. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, it says for Abraham, for I have chosen Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. This is when there's no other believers around. It's only Abraham, and yet God says, you will teach your children who the Lord is. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 7. Moses, we see him say to Israel, Father, or we see him say, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Israel, back in the wilderness, the fathers were charged to teach your children about all that they saw. In the New Testament, when the New Testament comes, even though the church now arrived, there's now the church where, the, where Christians gather together. It wasn't like the apostle says, thank God, now the church is here. Parents, you're free. Parents, that's off your plate. Worship, no, no more worship for you. Not at all. Not at all. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, look what Paul says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Fathers are told to raise up their children to know the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, not just fathers. Likewise, husbands, even if you don't have kids, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. He's presumed, Peter is presuming if you're married that you guys are praying together. He's presuming that. You see, the Bible tells us that there's always been worship throughout households and families. Church history, we see the church practicing it all the time. For the past 2,000 years, the church has always had a, a track record where Christians would practice family worship. John Chrysostom in the third century, he urged every household saying, you guys are all mini churches. Every household that's a Christian household, you should see yourself as a mini church that gathers together and worships. That's in the third century. In the 16th century, Martin Luther, he said, every husband, you should see yourself as the worship pastor of your family. You should see yourself as a shepherd over your, over your children. Jonathan Edwards, 18th century. Jonathan Edwards, he's a major nerd, major theologian. His books are confusing. And yet, every mealtime, every mealtime, he would always lead his children in devotions, his little kids. And he'd always have a Q&A session with his children during mealtime because he did family worship. Martin Lloyd-Jones in the 20th century, he always prayed with his wife every night before they went to bed. And so after he passed away, his wife told people that the, thing, the times he misses her husband the most are those evening times because those are the times they used to pray together. The Puritans... The Puritans, if they found out that men were not leading their family in worship, they would put them under church discipline. They would say, you can't take communion until you repent. That's what the Puritans do. They're hardcore. 
Those guys are hardcore. And I'm not saying that that's what you guys should do. <laughs> I'm not saying ANC should be like that. But what I'm saying is when you look throughout Scripture, when you look throughout church history, you can't deny the fact that you always see family worship. You always see it. And my question is, if we looked at you, would we see family worship in your home? Would we see it in you? Is this taking place in your family? Is this taking place in your marriage? Parents, outside of Sundays and outside of prayers before you eat, do you ever do anything to devote yourselves to the Lord together? Do you ever talk to your kids about the faith ever? Do you ever let your kids know that the God that you worship, it's not just because the church worships this God, but it's because your family worships this God. That this isn't just the church's God, but this is our God. Have you ever had conversations with your children like that? Please realize this is your responsibility as Christian parents. And by not doing it, we are neglecting it. We are neglecting this God-given responsibility to our kids. Married couples, please realize this applies to you too. Practice now so that when one day, by God's grace, you do have children, they're coming not just to any household, but a household that's devoted to the Lord, that that's the household that they're entering into. See, this is why, again, Peter, he addresses husbands. He tells husbands to lead their families. This is why Paul, he talks about how husbands, you are going to sanctify your wife with the word of God in Ephesians. We are supposed to, even as husbands, lead our time, our families, in family worship. Now, I know, it's, I know that could be awkward, by the way. That could be really awkward, right? You could be like, hey, hon, sit down. Turn to Ephesians 1. <laughs> Let's read Ephesians 1 together. The wife would be like, huh? <laughs> like, what's going on? I know it's, that it's I, I've, I've tried it. It's awkward. I know it's awkward. But do you, you do realize that everything you try for the first time is awkward, right? You know, anything new feels awkward because you're not used to it. But what I would encourage you is push through that. Push through the awkwardness. Make, create it as a normal thing. Because if it feels normal, it won't feel awkward anymore. Push through it. And singles, you know that 90% of you, you're going to be married with kids? Praise God, right? <laughs> like, phew, <laughs> thank the Lord. 90% of you will be married with kids. But here's the thing. If you're not worshiping the Lord now, you won't be worshiping when you're married. You just won't. You think you're tired now? <laughs> you know who's laughing? All the married people are laughing. <laughs> you think you're laughing now? Oh, man, just look at us. <laughs> look at us, parents. We are so tired. Uh, tired is not like a moment for us. It's reality. <laughs> We're just always tired. And so if you, as a single, are not worshiping in your household right now and think, oh, later, when I have a family, that's when I'll start, you're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself. If it's not a priority now, it will not be a priority when you're busy or later. Or let's pretend you do not do it. You go, oh, I'll just do it later, and you actually try it. It's going to come off really fake to your family. It'll be a very hollow, hypocritical, not really genuine type of Because you're doing it for your family. It's not really real to you. That's what's going to happen if you don't practice now. So I exhort us. I encourage us. Family worship. Let that be, again, not a resolution. Let this be a responsibility that we need to start doing again. But here's the reality. Um, I know some of you parents, you're awesome. You're doing it. Some of the parents in here, you are leading your family in worship. Praise God. Keep going. 
Keep at it. See this message as a reminder for you. But I remember, you know, my wife and I, when we started doing family worship, we started talking, saying, dude, do you think most couples at church are doing this? And we're like, probably, I don't think so, because nobody talks about it. <laughs> nobody, like, mentions in our small groups, like, you know, family worship, like, no one does that at all. Why not? How come we aren't doing this? At least my second point, the challenges. The challenges of family worship. You see, setting aside uh, time to worship with the family at home, it could feel daunting. It could feel very daunting to us. And so what I want to do is let me acknowledge these challenges that we probably face if we try to lead our family in worship, but let me also respond to these challenges too, okay? Let me, I'm going to acknowledge them and respond to them. A couple of challenges. First, here's the first challenge that families face, and this is probably the biggest one. Uh, the challenge is family worship time. Man, I'm so busy though. I'm so busy, and I'm so tired. And now you want me to do this? Man, I don't know. You see, the challenge is we already, as parents, as married couples, even as singles, we already feel overwhelmed with work, overwhelmed with children, overwhelmed with so many different things. And so the idea of also adding to the plate family worship sounds crazy. It sounds insane. I understand. I really empathize with this. I mean, I'm married, and so we always try to make sure it's our marriage healthy. Uh, I, I work, actually not just me, my wife also works a, a job as well, so we're both busy in that as, as well. We also have, all have different schedules, so it's hard to re- match our schedules all the time. And we have two young kids, two crazy young kids just running around everywhere. It's so hard, and we're taking them to preschool, and we're making sure they're going to the park, and bathing them, feeding them. I get it. Really hard. I really, really get it. We're busy. But um, if you don't mind, I'm going to be a little blunt right now, okay? I'm going to be a little bit... Uh, real with you right now. You're not that busy. (laughs) No, you're not. Come on. You're not that busy. I'm not saying you're not busy, but you're not that busy. You know what I mean? You're not so busy that you can't do this. And you know how I, I have proof. I have proof that you're not too busy. You know why? You always have time to watch Netflix, don't you? You always make time for that. You always make time to watch the Laker game, don't you? And that's a family affair sometimes, right? You watch as a family. You always have time to go to the park. You always have time to take your family to the Dodgers game. You always have time. But you see, for some reason, though, we say, oh, but when it comes to worship, oh, too busy, too busy. Donald Whitney, he wrote a great small book called Family Worship. He says it like this, realize that there is no family worship situation that has not been addressed by Christians for centuries. You are not alone in the circumstances that make family worship difficult. We tend to think that we have unique problems and our flesh wants to excuse us from family worship on the false grounds that our situation is an exception. You are not too busy, Christian. Realize that it's never because of our busyness. It's never because of our tiredness or because we're, we have no time. It's mainly because it's not a priority. It's not really that important to us. But, how, but is it supposed, isn't it not supposed to be important? Isn't it not supposed, worship supposed to be important to have with our household, for it to be there with our kids, to be present in our marriage? Isn't it supposed to be? You see, we need to grasp that it is supposed to be important. Because again, if your family is not worshiping the Lord, they are worshiping something else. If it is not devoted to the Lord, 
they are being devoted to something else. But if your family, the only time they gather together is to eat food or to watch sports or to play board games, then how can you say with a clear conscience that your family is devoted to the Lord? How can you say that if you never make time to actually devote yourselves to the Lord? We are never too busy. It's never because we're tired. It's because it's not a priority in our lives. Second challenge. Second challenge of why we don't do family worship. Um, Isn't this what the church is for? Isn't this what the church is for? I mean, we just hired a children's pastor. Isn't that his job? You see, the challenge that we have is we feel like it's the church's role to teach our children and raise them in the faith so that they can grow spiritually. And many of us believe so long as we drop off our kids at the children's ministry, job well done. Fulfill my duty as a spiritual leader. That's what we think, right? Let me remind you, church, let me remind you again, there was no church back in the time of Abraham. There was no church in the time of Moses, and yet they still always taught their kids about the Lord. And again, even when there was a church, when the time of the apostles, they always still had family worship. You see, realize that while the church is probably necessary for children to grow in the faith, it's not sufficient for them. It's not. That's why Barna Research always tells us children, they're slowly, slowly, and surely, they're always continuously falling away from the faith as they get older, all the time. Why? It's because we think that they can learn about the greatness of God so long as they come to church once a week. And let me tell you, you're kidding yourself. You really think a child can grasp God's greatness by coming one time a week for one hour, playing, well, singing songs and playing games. They need it every single day with you. Third challenge, the third challenge of why we don't do family worship. Uh, we tried before, and it didn't work. We're discouraged. We've been discouraged. Some of us, we, we try to initiate, let's, you know, hey, we sh- I should be a spiritual leader. I need to lead my wife or lead my kids. And so we've tried it before, but man, when you, uh, you, got, you got like really like hurt by how they responded, because you bring it up and you be like, hon, should we, you know, hey, should we do family worship? And your wife goes, or should we pray? You want to pray tonight? And my wife's like, oh, I'm so tired. So tired oh, later. And you're like, you get so like, I can't, I tried to pray with her and she just rejected me. Or let's say you have a family, you go, let's do fan worship. And as you're doing fan worship, the kids are running, throwing things at you. And you're like, Paul says, and you're just trying to lead your family. Like, you just get so discouraged. And you're like, man, why am I doing this? No one cares. They don't want to do this. And even I don't want to do this, but I'm trying. And yet you're so discouraged by the response. And so you go, forget it. Forget this. I tried to be faithful, but I'm not going to do this anymore because if you guys don't want to do it, I won't do it either. That's what we kind of feel, right, for some of us who tried. Please realize something, discouraged parent. Please realize something, discouraged spouse. The more resistant and unwilling your family is to worship, the more they need it. That shows how much more it's necessary to introduce in their lives. And please... Trust that God, he will never call you to do something that he won't supply you the strength to do it with. He will never call you to, be, to try something without supplying you with the power to do it. Don't let that stop you, your past discouragements. Fourth challenge, the fourth challenge we feel of doing family worship, um, we feel ashamed, shame. Uh, we, it's difficult to start something if we realize we haven't done it for a long time. Let's say you've been married for five, 10 years and you've just never done this before. Let's pretend you have children and they're all older now and you realize, oh my gosh, I've never done this with my kids before, ever. You get sh- it's shameful 
So all of a sudden, go like, hey, can we, you know, should we do fan worship? It's like, what the heck? Like, where's this guy been? <laughs> right? Like, who's this guy? You know, I'm a pastor, and I think Christians tend to expect that pastors, when they, uh, when they're at home, they always read the Bible together to family, and you expect that I serve communion to my kids like every single day. Like, you probably expect that's like my lifestyle, right? Not at all. <laughs> like, not at all. Uh, I try to read and pray personally. I, I have my own personal spiritual life. But I realized I never actually thought about my family's spiritual life and doing things together. That just wasn't on my radar when I got married with, even with kids. And I remember I realized when I got awakened to my responsibility, I realized, like, oh my gosh, I dropped the ball. I dropped the ball for the past six years of marriage. I realized that. And I felt really ashamed to bring it up. Like, I didn't want to bring it up because it exposes, like, my failures. What should you do? What should you do? This is you. What I'd ask you to do, what I suggest you do, actually, first of all, what I suggest you don't do is don't go like, all right, kids, all right, wife, you know what, family worship time, let's just go. And you just start. They will be so bitter at you. They'll be like, dude, who, who does, again, who does this guy think he is? Where has this guy been? They'll be so bitter. Don't, please don't do that. Don't just start right away. Uh, let me tell you what I do with my wife. With my wife, I, I or actually, first of all, I, I repented personally. I repented to the Lord. I, I dropped the ball. I went to my wife, and I said, "Hun, I need to talk to you. I realized something recently, and I realized I dropped the ball for the past six years. <laughs> I dropped the ball. I'm so sorry. Can you please forgive me? Because I, really I really didn't realize how I, how I screwed up. But can I ask you, can we start trying this now? Can we start trying? Are you okay if we start to try this, though? Praise God, my wife, she responded graciously. She said, let's do it. Let's do it. And, that's what, and now we're worshiping. Some, do something like that. Let that be response, and let your wife and the Lord remove that shame that you are placing upon yourself. Fifth, and lastly, what's the challenge of family worship? Uh, another challenge that we have is we don't know what to do. Like, okay, family worship, well, what, do you, what does that look like? I mean, we're not Bible teachers. Uh, and even if we wanted to do something like this, we have no idea. I mean, how many times have you heard a sermon on family worship, right? We have no, no clue. See, some of you might think, easy for you to say, Tom, do family worship. You're a pastor. You went to seminary, so you've been trained to teach the Bible. So that's easy family worship for you. Let me tell you, if my seminary degree, uh, if my family worship was the product of my seminary degree, my wife would say, you need to get a refund. <laughs> <laughs> they need to pay you back. Anybody can do family worship. Anybody can do it. It doesn't matter if you have a seminary degree or not. Anybody can do family worship. And that's why the New Testament tells us everybody should do it. Because anybody can. Well, how? What does that look like? Thirdly, the practice of family worship. How does family worship look like? What's, it supposed to, what's the picture of what it's supposed to be? Every family looks different. You all have your different traditions and quirks and personalities. But here are some biblical and practical principles I think might be helpful to adopt. For family worship. First, um, the first thing you should do if you plan to do family worship, always, 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 always include these three elements. Always, always, always. Reading, praying, singing. You can add things to it if you want, but please don't subtract from that. Reading, praying, singing. Lyman Coleman, he's a church historian. He researched family worship throughout church history because he always done it. And he noticed that they all look different, but there was always one consistent thread throughout history, despite nation, despite age, besides, besides time, doesn't matter. Always one consistent thread that appeared in every family worship circle. 
reading, praying, and singing. Always. Reading the Bible, pray together, sing together. Let those always be present in every family worship that's there. That's the first thing. Secondly, second thing is husbands, you need to initiate this time. It's on you. Ephesians, 4, Ephesians 6 says, charges fathers to make sure that it's your responsibility to instruct. First Peter says, husband, it's up to you to pray. That's what the Bible tells us. You see, as husbands, we know it's our responsibility to provide our family for our family, to physically protect them, but you need to also spiritually nourish them. It's on you, husbands. The first move is on you. I'm not saying wives, you have no role in that, but if your wife is the one who's always initiating it, again, I'm gonna be blunt one more time, you're a chump. You're being a chump. You're being a chump at that moment. You're neglecting your responsibility. Please be awakened to it. Don't neglect what God is charging you to do, husbands. It's on you. Thirdly, you're going to like this one. The third thing that family practice worship should look like is we're all like this. Keep it brief. Keep it short. Please keep it short. For, your, for the sake of the, your children, <laughs> for the sake of your, you, keep it short. Family worship should not feel like Sunday worship. It should not. Uh, you don't have to prepare a sermon. I know some of you, your parents did family worship and it felt like Sunday worship. They screwed up, okay? <laughs> they messed up. Um, mo- historically speaking, most family worships lasted 10 to 15 minutes. That was the average. Now, sometimes you talk about something very interesting and it could go longer, but average, 10, 15 minutes. It all, the time fluctuates depending on what you are talking about. So please, please, please keep it short. Fourth, keep it constant. Keep doing it. Have a rhythm a rhythm to your family worship. God is smart. When he tells us to worship him, he doesn't go, worship me whenever you want. Anytime you want, just church, gather whenever you want. Worship. No, 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 no. Gather together once a week on the Sabbath. He tells us to worship, right? God's smart. Because he knows that if he doesn't tell us that, we will never do it. We just won't. Sunday's our rhythm as a corporate church to just worship and gather together. Families, let there be a rhythm to you worshiping where you have to be intentional and thinking like, when are we going to actually set aside time to worship together? This, and uh, this may be challenging, but 10 to 15 minutes a day, it's possible. It's possible to do that. And lastly, make it intentional. Make it intentional. We are all so busy. We are such busy people, and we are so distracted. We're always on our smartphones. We're always in our bedrooms watching TV, playing Xbox, playing PlayStation, PS4. But what I would say is, see the family worship as this one time you turn everything off. Everything turns off, and you gather together, you disconnect from everything, and you come together to create a space to worship the Lord. Let it be intentional time. If it's not intentional, if you're not planning it, you just won't do it. Let me tell you how my family and I practice family worship. This is what, uh, to paint a picture of what we do. So we committed, our, we said we're going to do family worship. Uh, I would say, hey, okay, so, uh, and we said we're going to do it every day. Most Christians, by the way, historically, it's every day. Every day they set aside 10, 15 minutes. So we, my wife and I said, okay, every day, let's do this. When should we do it? And we talked, we planned our schedule. We said, okay, the best time that we figured out with our kids, right before our son sleeps, that will be our time. Sometime before our son sleeps, we will set aside time to do family worship. And so the way it works is when it's around seven, my son sleeps at eight, so 7.30, I go to my wife, go, you ready for family worship? She goes, in 10 minutes? I go, cool, in 10 minutes. So we get ready and we start. And so uh, what we do is we'll come together, we turn all the TV off, we turn our phones off, put it away, come to the living room, and we're really cheesy. We want to get our son excited. So we go, Jude, my son's name is Jude, family worship time. 
And he has no clue what we're talking about, but he's just like, yeah, he just like responds like that. And we sit down, and then what we do is uh, I open my Bible, and usually I pick a passage from my morning Devo. And so it'll be like a random passage, like Luke 19, verse 6. <laughs> and I just read the verse. I tell our church, hey, I tell my family, like, hey, and this is what, this is my church. <laughs> I tell my family, hey, this is, I think, what God wants us to do as a family. Really short, really brief. And then my wife, she prays. Then I pray out loud. And then, and Jude, he's just like watching us. He's just running around, like not knowing what's going on. Sometimes my wife is chasing him, but we're trying to do that. As soon as we're done praying, then we sing a song, a cappella style, because I have no idea how to play guitar. We sing a song together. And usually I, I go, let's say, we sing like, come down fountain. And we'll sing it. And, we were, and every verse, for some reason, it always starts with the line, come down fountain. We're doing it wrong. <laughs> we, we, we screw up. <laughs> totally wrong. But we just do it. We still do it. And then after that is done, we go, amen. And we all go, we worshiped. We defeated Satan. <laughs> and then and Jude, he goes, yay. He doesn't know why. He's just going crazy. And that's what our family worship looks like. Doesn't it sound, it sounds simple, right? It's very simple, and yet, it's very challenging. And yet, it's very challenging to do. But please know, it's never too late to start. It's never too late to start. Parents, if you haven't been doing this, think about your kids. Think about what you want to shape them with. Even though it's always a challenge, please trek through that challenge and make sure that you are shaping your children to worship the Lord. Married couples, this is a challenge and you haven't been doing this, please think about the culture that you want to set for your family. Start it now. And singles, think about your future family. Think about your future family and what habits you want to bring. Singles, think about when you're about to date somebody. That's why pastors tell you, look at their spiritual maturity. Because one day, if you date someone who's not mature and you get married and you're frustrated because your husband's not leading in worship, we're all like, we told you. <laughs> like, we warned you. You got to consider that. You got to consider that in your life. Is this worth it? Is this all worth it if we keep doing it? Because it's hard. Will it be worth it? Let me end with my last point, the result of family worship. So what happens if your family keeps doing this? What happens if you make this a habit, uh, not just a resolution, but this is your responsibility? What happens if this is in your life? Let me tell you what doesn't happen. It doesn't guarantee your, your, your kids will be Christians. That's not what it does. Uh, family worship is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ coming down in the form of a human, dying for our sins, paying the price for our, for our rebellion, rising again, living the life that we should have lived, dying the death that we should have died. That's the good news. That's the gospel. So while the family worship, is, while it's not the gospel, it is uh, an arena to introduce the gospel to the for the first time. It is the arena to emphasize the gospel and drive it deeper in our hearts. That's what family worship is supposed to be. You see, at, at most, it may lead to a saving faith, but at the very least, it will show that there's something very important about this Jesus. That's what family worship does. Growing up, my parents were always away because they were working, so we were always at home by ourselves. And so I don't have a lot of memories of us doing things together as a family. But I do remember my dad, he one day, for some reason, as young kids, he started doing, opening his Bible and making us do family worship. I still remember that. As a kid, I had no clue why my dad was doing this. Uh, he would always open the Bible, read for us, pray. Uh, we always uh, 
turn to the same passage, children, obey your parents and make sure you follow them. And it was always, he always got inspired to turn there for some reason. And, and then we'd pray. And man, we, he'd, he'd give a message in Korean and we didn't know what was going on. And afterwards, you know, we all pray one by one. And I remember we made things so hard for him. Oh, we were such trolls. Oh my gosh, we, we, uh, we'd complain. He'd go, my dad be like, okay, come together, fan worship. And we're like, no, we run away. Or right, come, we come, he, he, we go, I don't have my Bible. I've got my Bible. And so we have to share Bibles. My dad finds us the Bible. And then he'd make us pray. And when we're praying, we're like, dear Lord, please help my dad find a new Bible passage. Like that's our prayer <laughs> when we pray out loud. We just like jacked my dad all the time. But man, you know, uh, we kept, he kept doing it. My dad kept doing it. And you know what? To this day, he still does it. I'm going to grow an adult. I'm a pastor now. But when we have family gatherings for birthdays or so forth, we always end in family worship. We're always reading that passage about obeying your parents. <laughs> it's always still there, dude. And it's really interesting. Throughout all the years, my dad, so many years of him doing family worship, I don't remember a single word my dad said during that time. I don't remember a single devotional that he ever gave. Not a single one. But here I am now doing family worship now with my kids. I'm pretty sure my son, when I make him read the Bible, when we do worship together, he has no, no clue what's going on. No clue. And I know he has no clue. He's jumping around everywhere. He's running. He's screaming the whole time. I'm pretty sure my son, he's never going to remember a single word that I'm telling him during that time. Never. But I do hope he'll realize something one day. I hope he realizes this thought comes to his brain one moment. Donna Whitney, he says it like this, which I appreciate. Let me quote this. If we could put his or her infant thoughts into adult language, a child's thoughts, they might be something like this. I don't know what it is we do here every night in family worship. Dad reads things that I don't understand from a big book. And then everyone closes their eyes and, they, and talks. And then after that, everyone sings. I like that part. But whatever it is, it must be important because we do it every night. I don't know how my son would turn out because we're doing it every night, but I do know it's still my responsibility. And so church, my hope for you, married, parent, single, if this is the God you worship, worship him in your homes. Worship him in your homes. He calls you to worship him. Let's pray together. Lord, we just heard a challenging word from you. It's challenging to me. I'm sure it's challenging to all of us, especially it's challenging to us as fathers and as husbands and as men. But Lord, help us to see that you call us to worship you. You give us a responsibility to lead our family, to be, provide for our family, not just financially, not just physically, but spiritually as well. Awaken our souls, O oh God. Help us to see that this is the most important thing we can do for our family. Let worship be something that we don't just go to, but that we bring into our homes. Be with us, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.